We're not treating wastewater. We're wasting energy to destroy larger amounts of energy. Today, I'll tell you why, how, and what we shall do about it. Treating municipal wastewater represents 3 to 5% of the global electricity consumption. That makes for about 1,000 terawatt hour of electricity every year, which is the equivalent of the production of 200 nuclear power reactors. According to the latest estimates, the world treats about half of its wastewater. This is way up from the previous figure of 20%, but there's still a way to go. Pump those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers in this racket. This means that by the time we meet the United Nations Sustainable Development Goal number 6, we will need twice much energy to treat wastewater. But then you have to add to this that the world's population is still growing. We shall be 3 billion more humans on Earth by 2050. And all in all, that means that by 2050, we will need about 520 nuclear power reactors only to feed our wastewater treatment plants. That's more than the world's installed base plus all the currently planned ones. Still, we're only talking of municipal wastewater and not even touching on the carbon emissions of all these processes. I guess you can feel it we have a problem. But let's pause here for a second. What are we using all this energy for? Let me recap what a wastewater treatment plant does in 20 seconds. Let's go! First, it sorts out everything that floats or sinks in a first physical step. That's called primary treatment. Then it takes on organic compounds. That's secondary treatment. It then often goes to a filtration step that takes on phosphates, nitrates, and remaining suspended solids, which would be tertiary treatment. In some places, it gets further treated in a quaternary treatment to emerging contaminants. That's not our topic for today, but tell me in the comments if you'd like me to go deeper into wastewater treatment in the next release. Back to our question, what are we using our energy for? Well, most of it, 50 to 70 percent, is spent in secondary treatments to remove the organic compounds I mentioned, which leads to the logical follow-up question, what is an organic compound? Well, by definition, it's anything that contains carbon hydrogen bonds. So it can be, for instance, pesticides, greases, protein, or sugar. The problem with these organic compounds is that they will be oxidized into something else when released into the environment and this oxidation requires oxygen. Sounds pretty straightforward, right? So this means that the receiving environment will see its oxygen being sucked, which leads, of course, to critical damages to aquatic life and vegetation. You can measure that with two tools. The biological oxidation demand, which is the oxygen microorganism will need to break down the pollutants, and chemical oxidation demand, which is the same but with chemicals. On average, you, me, and every human on Earth produces about 60 to 120 grams of chemical oxygen demand every day. With 10 billion humans on Earth by 2050, that's a daily production of 1 million tons of chemical oxygen demand. But here's the trick. That's not pollution. That's energy. Hold on and let me explain. This is coal. You recognize the CH bond, so it's an organic compound. This is wood, and you know what that is? Well, this is glucose, and it's just one of the millions of organic compounds you'll find in wastewater. Whoa! What I'm trying to show here is that these organics are very, very, very similar to what we consider fuels. How much similar? Well, a series of studies conducted by Elizabeth Heidrich established the relationship between the energy content of municipal wastewater and chemical oxygen demand. That means we're using COD here as a proxy to measure the total energy present in domestic wastewater, but with a spectacularly high correlation. And what she demonstrated is that there are 16.1 kilojoules of energy for each gram of COD. So let's do the math. Remember, by 2050, we will be producing 1 million tons 
of chemical oxygen demand every day. That makes 4,472 gigawatt hour of energy every day and about 1,600 terawatt hour of energy per year. That's the equivalent of 320 nuclear power reactors or 140 million tons of oil being burned in thermic power plants or 32,000 of the world's largest capacity wind turbine. This energy is fully renewable. As long as there will be humans peeing and pooing, there will be COD. And this energy, again, is not only purely wasted today, but also requires energy to be wasted. So it's literally a double waste. This is the worst. <laughs> Why do we waste it? Is everyone stupid and me very clever? I don't think so. The problem is that we don't know how to reap this energy. Because usually, what do we do with fuels? We burn them. And have you ever tried to burn water? If you haven't, here's a spoiler, it's not easy. Today, we found some ways to extract some of the energy contained in this wastewater with methanation and biogas production. Primary and secondary sludges are collected and sent to a digester where organic solids are reduced and partially turned into methane. That methane can then be used on-site in cogeneration units or re-injected in the gas network. That is already a huge step forward, yet it only addresses a portion of the organic streams within a treatment plant. And depending on the type of organics, it can be more or less efficient. But it's working and it's well deployed. Let's say it's a sturdy solution with some room for improvement. Already well established, but without a real potential to disrupt the energy balance of wastewater treatment. Now, when it comes to this ambition of disruption, we don't have a major technology yet. We have prospects with higher stakes, but not yet major enough to be deployed on a bigger scale. Most of the time, they're cutting their teeth in the industrial world with the ambition to jump on the other side at some point. You know what? Let's swiftly review three of them. First, microbial fuel cells or MFCs. Here, the concept is to convert the chemical energy we've been describing so far into electrical power using oxidation and reduction reactions. You're leveraging the capacity of some bacteria to breathe electricity to feed on the anode and transfer it to the cathode. That works like a charm. Bacteria depollute your water and you're getting electricity as an output. Yet, there's a limit to it. A microbial fuel cell has very specific parameters relative to scaling. You can't just add a bigger tank and a bigger pump and a bigger electrode. That's what comes in the way of microbial fuel cells today. Exactly like an adult is not a baby with every part of its body just four times bigger, large-scale approaches can't just replicate what works at a small scale. But it's an awesome technology when you turn the knobs by reducing the flow and increasing the pollution load, which is typically the case with industrial wastewater. That's what we like. The dirtier, the better. <laughs> That's the really high energy content. Second, microbial electrolysis cell or MEC. That's pretty similar in the approach. You still have microorganisms breathing oxygen and generating a current between an anode and a cathode. But what we are adding here is that we pour a little bit more electricity into the system, which has some welcome side effects. We've got a process which is augmenting an anaerobic process with electrically active organisms. We're actually able to get some information out and to get an improvement in the biogas quality, which translates basically to higher BTU content in the gas. The electrolysis of water in the system enhances the biogas output of our anaerobic process, which in turn provides a higher energetical yield. But here also, scale and flows are limiting factors, making it a fantastic technology for the industrial world, a bit less for the municipal side. Yet, both MFC and MEC triggered further developments which are making a dent in municipal applications as we speak, like membrane-aerated biofilm reactors 
shortened MABRs. MABRs are what happened while we were busy making microbial fuel cells. Third, supercritical oxidation or SCO. Here, we are leveraging the properties of water when it goes over its critical point. So beyond 220 bars and 374 degrees Celsius. At these heights, water becomes a good solvent for chlorinated hydrocarbons, which can hence react with dissolved oxygen. The supercritical oxidation that occurs breaks the organic compounds carbon bonds and... We capture energy from the exothermic reaction. I took a zillion shortcuts here because that's too wide of a topic to just swipe through. And that process as well is better suited today to low flows and high strength. But what's to remember here is that we can also transform the liquid energy of our wastewater into heat and repurpose that heat for many uses, like for instance, electricity production. Talking of heat, you know, that's another source of energy we didn't mention at all so far. Because on top of the 1,600 terawatt hour of chemical energy trapped in municipal wastewater, there's also a cherry on the cake with the streams heat. What could we reap by leveraging that one? By our calculations, there's enough energy being lost through wastewater heat to power every single electric vehicle on the road in the United States right now. If you ask me, finding ways to leverage all these energy streams present in wastewater will be a cornerstone of the next two decades resource management. Sure, that will require further reflection on the right technology mix to apply, but it all starts by realizing that the way we deal with wastewater treatment today is probably not the most sustainable one. Because honestly, how can we still call that a waste? Check this video to get the story of how Activated Sludge became the workhorse we try to challenge a bit today and a couple more incredible stories about great water people. And talking of great water people, check my full interviews with Oriana, Matthew, Gilad, Kobe and Aaron. The links are in the description and I'll see you next time.